sweeping the nation, and it's coming from the man who talks about how the news is, quote, the enemy of the American people, so we're going to have to dive into that, and there was an interesting news blip that just popped up on my phone literally right now that I have to dive into. All this and more coming up. Fritzcast. It's uh, it's Monday, February twentieth, two thousand seventeen, and this is Fritzcast. Believe it or not, another week in the books, and beginning yet another week. And there was just nothing but uh, insanity in in the last couple of days, last week that that ended. Uh, it was it was I mean literally. We're gonna get to that in a minute. Because one thing that I need to discuss, I have my office windows open right now uh, because it is beautiful outside. This past weekend was beautiful outside. For once, Delaware like just rained down sunshine and beautiful weather. And we were all outside and in the backyard literally cleaning it up because it's been a mess uh, since last summer. Huge mess. All around. Junk uh, everywhere. Papers. Old lawn chairs that we have to get rid of. And piles of wood that were terribly organized. Thanks to, in part, mostly me. It was my terrible organization. I'm not going to lie. But that was the weekend. And it was beautiful. To, to be outside all day before going to work. Never mind the fact that I had to go to work. Forget that little tid, tidbit. But, I mean, it was like 60-ish degrees. A sun shining, clear sky. Uh, we, we started a bonfire. Burned out all the growth in the, uh, in the fire pit. Uh, I, I seasoned my grill and even used it. Uh, which was great. Turkey burgers, delicious. Some garlic and beer seasoning, dry rubbing stuff. Very, very delicious. But the fact of the matter is is that the windows have been open in the house. The heater's been off. Uh, it's been an enjoyable time to go outside and just enjoy the weather. And also now my house smells like barbecue because the windows were open and it all wafted in. And, you know, it smells delicious in my house now, especially in my bedroom. Which I'm sure my wife appreciates. I mean, you know, is is it really bad that the house smells like barbecue? I don't think so. I think that's a I think that's a great thing. Making the house great again. So among some of the things that happened during the last week for me on on a you know private matter, uh, I'm in week six of classes now, or rather, I just completed week six. I'm in week seven of classes now. This is the second to last week of classes that I have. And it is, it's that home stretch. Senioritis is in full swing. Like, I, I get to an assignment, I'm just like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to write a paper about interview preparation. Really? Do I have to do that? Sorry if my teacher listens. I apologize. I don't mean to take it out on you. But, seriously, I'm, it's like, have you ever been done? You're just done. I, I, I just want this week and next week to go by, get my passing grades, and move on. Uh, my, my career counselors tasked me with researching companies, which is, the in my book, the hardest thing to do. Finding, uh, finding and researching companies and, and seeing if they have the same values as you do. Because n- now you're sitting and developing values. You think I developed values when I looked at my application for the Department of Correction? I said, nope. I said, I need a job that pays me better, and this is uh, one that I can at least get into with nothing but my high school diploma. And that's, and boom, boom. That's the long and the short of how Fritz ended up in corrections for five years and is a sergeant. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm interviewing for lieutenant tomorrow. I have these packs of paperwork. Literally, it must be a half a ream of paper of uh, of my resume, uh, my unofficial school transcripts, 
uh, any any training certificate I ever earned ever uh, my my uh, perfect attendance awards or as I like to call them my nerd awards uh, because only nerds get perfect attendance like that uh, positive super positive supervisory counseling notes supervisory counseling sounds bad but these were positive ones it even says it on the memorandum it says positive because I do my job to the T most of the time all the time 60% of the time I do it all the time so I've had fun organizing and, and doing that I the thing is is that I hate interviews I don't know this this is the weird thing I've only ever had two jobs in my life and before somebody says, wow, what a bum, no, I've built credible work history. Okay, I haven't flowed to 90 billion jobs. My first job was uh, 2006-ish, 2007, uh, all the way up until 2011. To the end of 2011. It was 2012 was the official, probably last date, because I burned out all this paid time off that, that I earned to close out December and go into January. And January 2012 is when I started at the Department of Corrections. So my first job was food services at a retirement community with X retirement communities. Uh, that was the last ownership of the, of the place that I was at was X before it was Peninsula United Methodist Homes. And I, yeah, I was serving old retired people. <laughs> and I started there as a server and I worked my way up to a host and then my last job title there was store clerk. Um, so there's that. That was my work history before the Department of Correction. Then I interviewed for the Department of Correction, my first panel interview, where I believe there was like a, a two sergeants and a captain or a lieutenant, possibly a staff lieutenant. I'm not sure. It was five years ago. Anyway. So I sit before this panel answering questions about how I should be considered to be a correctional officer, and I thought I bombed it. And they, they dismissed me to the, to the lobby area, or the waiting area, and then they called me back in about 10 minutes later, and they're like, uh, we're offering you, um, you know, preliminary employment, bringing you into the training academy, all that jazz. Then I did that, and I did uh, the position of correctional officer for about three, four years, and since April, I've been a sergeant. Now I'm going for lieutenant, because that's what I do. Uh, I get very... I, I, I can't settle for something uh, unless I truly, absolutely love it. And I just can't settle. I can't. I don't do that. Uh, I can't grind it out and, and just keep going with the flow. There's people who are in corrections who remain officers for their whole 25-year career. Um, think about 25 years. That's a, whole, that's a whole quarter of a century to do a job. And to me, staying and, and not advancing is just is stagnant, stale, you know, is there a ceiling? Sure, maybe there's a there's a peak that you reach, but it's, in my mind, it, it, it's keep going on the up and up until you find that thing that you love doing, that's your passion. When you can go to work and really not complain about having to go to work, and you come home from work and you're not complaining about your day from beginning to end, and you're thoroughly enjoying your time off and, and everything like that, that's the perfect picture in my mind. Uh, how do you attain it? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But So I'm going in for a lieutenant. We'll see what happens. We'll see, we'll see what happens with it because I have virtually done no studying for this interview. I have done so many interviews inside the Department of Corrections that uh, talking with my career counselor and looking at the outside options, the private sector options, starting to scare me a little bit. Because I'm so used to sitting in front of a panel with, you know, what's your what's your job knowledge? What are what are the SOPs, the the standard operating procedures for this building? What are the policies? You know, what what are some of the things that you've been involved in? What's some of your experience? And that to me is now easy. 
to the point where I'm not I'm not worried that I haven't studied for this interview coming up. Uh, I really haven't had time to study for it anyway. The Department of Corrections, as of the last couple of weeks, has kind of been going through things. And uh, if I may, too, sidebar that, I have to bash uh, local Delaware news, specifically the News Journal, but everybody knows the News Journal's garbage anyway. It's not worth its weight in, in dog crap, to say it nicely. But uh, the News Journal just keeps publishing articles where they interview ex-inmate after ex-inmate after ex-inmate. Uh, I, I mean, at least they go as far to say what they were in for. Like, one of the guys they interviewed, you know, he was only in there for like 30-some years, a uh, convicted rapist. So, obviously, I mean, his opinion should matter to people. He only raped somebody, right? But regardless, it seems like the, the, the interviews with the officers themselves is, is a bit lax. And, of course, now the spin's coming out to try to put all the blame on the department. And, it, you know, objectively, I've talked with some of my family about this. Uh, and, obviously, there's details that I can't go into. There's things I can't talk about. But I've talked with people about this. And I, you know, I can't point fingers and lay the blame on any one person, organization, individual, or anything. There's a lot that needs to be addressed. Will it be addressed? I can only hope. They're doing an independent review and investigation that's supposed to be wrapped up with the results revealed sometime in June, July, or August. Um, that's when the independent investigation is supposed to be wrapped up. That's months. That is months. And that's going to be months of the newspaper doing whatever it wants to do with the story, going wherever they want to go with it, whatever's going to get them reads. And yes, that's that's a, I believe that's the basis of the news journal nowadays. That's about as far as they go. Whatever gets them reads. But here I am ranting. Uh, that's tomorrow. That's what I'm doing tomorrow. And then back into the grind of the work week. Whatever, whatever may come. Uh, it's prison. It is what it is. I'm trying to think if I had anything else go on during the week that I need to bring up. And I really can't think of anything. So, with that being said, let's dive right on it. And since I'm talking about news and the news journal and, and uh, along those lines of, of subject, I want to play this, this little clip from, from ABC News uh, for you. Uh, I'm sure you heard it. It, it, it. This, mind you, this, this was following. This happened over the weekend. So this followed... Donald Trump's, like, just amazing, spectacular press conference, I believe that was on Thursday, that I also have to talk about. But listen to this clip. Speaking Saturday about the link between terrorism and refugees. You look at what's happening in Germany. You look at what's happening last night in Sweden. Sweden. Who would believe this? What couldn't be believed, what the president was talking about. Incident in Sweden, what incident? Sweden, they took in large numbers. They're having problems like they never thought possible. You look at what's happening in Brussels. You look at what's happening all over the world. Even the Swedish government baffled, reaching out to the State Department for clarification. The former Swedish prime minister tweeting, Sweden terror attack. What has he been smoking? Questions abound. Today, the White House explaining the president was talking about rising crime and recent incidents in general and not referring to a specific incident, adding that the president was referencing a news report he had seen the night before. The president's comments about Sweden came just 30 minutes after he railed against a familiar target. The dishonest media, which has published one false story after another, I will never, ever let them get away with it. I will do whatever I can that they don't get away with it. But just Thursday, he falsely boasted about the size of his electoral college win. I guess it was the biggest electoral college win since Ronald Reagan. That's simply not true. And when confronted about it? Well, I don't know. I was given that information. I was given. I've actually, I've seen that information around. The president holding a campaign rally Saturday to take his message directly to his supporters without what he calls the filter of the press. 
We are here today to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You guys give, give Donald Trump a hard time. You dissect his, what he said. He's not a politician. He doesn't have the perfect thing to say. But we love the fact that he goes straight to us, and we can decipher it. As Trump declares the media the enemy of the American people, even Republican lawmakers are sounding the alarm. A consolidation of power, when you look at history, the first thing that dictators do is shut down the press. And his own defense secretary says the media is not the enemy. No, the, the press, uh, as far as I'm concerned, are a constituency that we deal with. And uh, the, I, I don't have any issues uh, with the press. The president is facing real challenges. Concerns about his travel ban now on hold. Questions about his administration's possible ties to Russia, and he is still lacking a national security advisor. In Florida today, the president meeting with at least four possible replacements after Michael Flynn was forced to resign. That announcement expected to be coming soon. And Mary joins us from Palm Beach, Florida. Mary, you just showed us who interviewed today to be national security advisor. Are these the final four and two other big name candidates no longer in the mix? Tom, two contenders have already taken themselves out of the running, David Petraeus and Robert Harward. Now, the president did meet with those four others today, and now we're learning he could be considering even more contenders in the coming days. Trump talking about Sweden. And do you know what happened in Sweden? You know what big controversial thing happened in Sweden? Uh, it turns out the sun rose in the morning and it set in the evening very peculiar never happened before uh nothing happened in sweden the other night he's referring to and tucker carlson kind of tries to back him up on it he's referring to ever since uh immigration uh and 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 the refugees that have been uh, taken in around european countries uh, he was trying to make a case there, or at least they were trying to backtrack and, and talk about uh, Trump and say that he was talking about all the refugees flooding into the European nations and now crime is on the rise and things like that. Some people were speculating he was talking about the Sweden uh, uh, rape plague that was going on, so to speak. Supposedly an increase of rapes in Sweden where it's become the rape capital of the world. That's That's... that's some of the talkings that are going on. And it's it's scary because Trump talks about fake news all the time. And, and uh, you know, his supporters, as you heard in that clip, his supporters are all, yeah, the media lies to us all the time. Uh, we can figure out what the truth is. And we can talk and speculate about news spin and things of that nature. But there's some things that just can't, quite work out in this world anymore uh, because it's the technological era and everybody has a cell phone and everybody has social media and it can get posted anything can get reported practically by people on the ground uh, who are there and I gotta say I gotta find this tweet uh, over the Sweden incident just, 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 just listen to some of these uh, sadly, last night in Sweden, all the remaining survivors of the Bowling Green Massacre were killed. I go to bed grateful for Mr. Trump's protection from whatever happened in Sweden, Atlanta, and Bowling Green. <laughs> Remember, what happens in Sweden stays in Sweden. And, and those are just to name a few. Those are the ones that the news picked up on. I'm sure there is dozens and dozens of better, one, better ones on Twitter. Uh, just from the people doing the people. But uh, it's funny, he keeps attacking the press over and over and over again. And we have the freedom of press in this, con in this country. We have that established in our Constitution. And he wants to attack it. And uh, a lot of his followers want to just, they don't want to bat an eyelash to him attacking the media. That doesn't mean, that just because there's the First Amendment to cover it, doesn't mean that the media doesn't deserve criticism. But we're talking Trump will <laughs> we're talking we're talking he he could silence the media. He could exclude the media from 
White House press briefings. Now, I know they're not really filled with a lot of sustenance uh, because Sean Spicer has to get up there and and try to pussyfoot around shit. Sorry. Sorry for the language. But he has to get up there and make stuff up on the fly and try to defend this nonsense at times. Reince Priebus was asked about Trump's comments. Here's what Reince Priebus had to say. Should we take that seriously from him? Well, I think you should take it seriously. I think that the, the problem we've got is that we're talking about bogus stories like the one in the New York Times that we've had constant contact with Russian officials. The next day, the Wall Street Journal had a story that uh, the intel community was not giving the president a full intelligence briefing. Both stories grossly inaccurate. Uh, overstated, overblown, and it's total garbage. So we spend, you know, 48 hours on bogus stories, and the American people suffer. So I do think it's a problem, and I think that the media needs to, in some cases, not every case, John, but in some cases really ne needs to get its act together. So I think that the media should stop with this unnamed source stuff, put names on a piece of paper, and print it. If people aren't willing to put their name next to a quote, then the quote shouldn't be listed. Okay, maybe there's a good point at the end of there. The 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 you know unnamed sources. I understand there needs to be protections, and and we live in a society where you know whistleblowers get uh, have to go find asylum elsewhere, and then we have debates over whether or not Edward Snowden is a good guy or a bad guy, and all this jazz that we that we lump on top of it. But listen to Ryan. Ryan's Priebus had to sit there, and he like half defends it. Half doesn't talking about. Oh, I think the media should listen uh, because we have to, you know, these bogus stories about, you know. But no mention of Trump's bogus stories. He can throw out a bogus story all he wants, but the media, the media needs to get flack instead of, you know. You have to sit there and you have to, you can't say about your president and Kellyanne Conway and and Sean Spicer. Sean Spicer's misstated things before too. It's scary business, and you know why it's scary. This just came through on my cell phone. This is from NBC World News uh, from Moscow. This article is by Bill Neely. Let me just read some of it for you. Quote, a dossier on Donald Trump's psychological makeup is being prepared for Russian President Vladimir Putin. Among its preliminary conclusions is that the new American leader is a risk-taker who can be naive, according to a senior Kremlin advisor. Trump, quote, doesn't fully understand who Mr. Putin, who is Mr. Putin. He is a tough guy, end quote, from former deputy foreign minister... Andrei Fedorov, who told this to NBC News. The file is being compiled by retired diplomats and some of Putin's staff, he added. The attempt to get inside the U.S. president's mind is aimed at helping Putin plan his first meeting with America's new leader, the date for which is yet to be decided. Quote, Very serious preparatory work is going on in the Kremlin, including a paper, seven pages, describing the psychological portrait of Trump, especially based on these last two or three months and the last weeks, added Fedorov, who said he has known Trump since 2000. The dossier was being revised regularly, he added, adding that many in the Kremlin believe that Trump viewed the presidency as a business. Fedorov added, quote, Trump is not living in a box, he is living in a crowd. He should listen to the people around him, especially in the areas where he is weak, end quote. Uh, it is normal for any president or leader to be fully briefed before entering negotiations for the first time with a rival leader, but preparing a detailed dossier on the mind and instincts of a U.S. leader is unusual. Putin's government is growing increasingly concerned about Trump's battles in Washington, according to Fedorov and former lawmaker Sergei Markov, who remains well-connected at the Kremlin. It is worried that the president will not have the political power to improve relations with Russia, as he indicated he might try to do, 
and even perhaps lift some U.S. sanctions. U.S. intelligence agencies concluded that Russia conducted a convert hacking to undermine the U.S. election, even help Trump get elected, yada yada, we know that story. The White House's connections with the Kremlin and how deep it runs remains under scrutiny, which is only ramped up last week when Mike Flynn resigned from his role as National Security Advisor after admitting to misleading Vice President Mike Pence and other senior administration officials about conversations he had with the Russian ambassador to the United States in December. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson has no government or diplomatic experience with experience, but boasts exceptionally close ties with Moscow and Putin. This is finally starting to all come together. Or rather, it's all starting to be real now. This Trump-Russia-Putin business is all starting to look like something scary. And I'm one who is saying to everybody, stop crying about Russia and, and hacking because... I mean, the way that the media handled it, I felt, was a bit misleading. You can't say Russia hacked the election because hacked the election sounds like you changed votes. If if he provided information, or if they, if they provided information to Julian Assange and all they did was hack the DNC email server, which was unsecured and mostly Gmail stuff, uh, eh, I, you know, grasping at straws. Okay, now, Michael Flynn, that is his name, right? Michael, yeah, Michael Flynn resigned and stepped down as National Security Advisor, uh, the shortest tenure known in modern history, according to the Washington Post. Now, he was fired for lying to, to Mike Pence about correspondence that he had with Russia, which other news articles have suggested has been known knowledge, has been known knowledge. Known knowledge. Is that... Uh, I don't... Is that like a double negative or something? I don't... You know what? Let me rephrase. The White House and the whole team has had knowledge of this situation supposedly since January. So Flynn lies to Mike Pence. And what does Donald Trump say in his special, really long press conference? He has really long press conferences, but... Thursday. What did he say in his Thursday press conference? You were cut off pretty violently at our last uh, news conference. Who fired Mike Flynn? Mike Flynn is a fine person, and I asked for his resignation. He respectfully gave it. He is a man who uh, there was a certain amount of information given to Vice President Pence, who's with us today, and. I was not happy with the way that information was given. Uh, he didn't have to do that because what he did wasn't wrong. What he did in terms of the information he saw, what was wrong was the way that other people, including yourselves in this room, were given that information. Because that was classified information that was given illegally. That's the real problem. And, you know, you can talk all you want about Russia, which was all a, you know, fake news fabricated deal to try and make up for the loss of the Democrats, and the plus press plays right into it. Uh, in fact, I saw a couple of the people that were supposedly involved with all of this, but they know nothing about it. They weren't in Russia. They never made a phone call to Russia. They never received a phone call. It's all fake news. It's all fake news. The nice thing is, I see it starting to turn, where people are now looking at the illegal all right, I think it's very important. The illegal uh, giving out classified information. It was, and, and let me just tell you, it was given out like so much. I'll give you an example. I called, as you know, Mexico. It was a very, very confidential classified call, but I called Mexico. And in calling Mexico, I figured, oh, well, that's nice. I spoke to the president of Mexico, had a good call. All of a sudden, it's out for the world to see. It's supposed to be secret. It's supposed to be either confidential or classified in that case. Same thing with Australia. 
all of a sudden people are finding out exactly what took place. The same thing happened with respect to General Flynn. Everybody saw this. And I'm saying, the first thing I thought of when I heard about it is, how does the press get this information that's classified? How do they do it? You know why? Because it's an illegal process, and the press should be ashamed of themselves. But more importantly, the people that gave out the information to the press should be ashamed of themselves. Really ashamed. Yes, go ahead. I mean, listen to that. Right back to the media bashing. Right back to the media bashing. After he, after he states, Mike Michael Flynn is a great, great man. Uh, ha- however, he lied. I didn't like what he did with it, and I, I. So, I mean, he's a great guy, good at his job, but I fired him. What? Re- really? And you go on this tirade trying to answer the question, and he he always goes off on tangents. I don't know what it is with Donald Trump's mind, but he can't focus clear on the subject and attack it and address it directly. He has to go on these tangents, and then he has to go into belittling the media for asking a, a simple question. Did you ask for Mike Flynn's resignation? That was it. Did you ask for Mike Flynn's resignation, or did he resign on his own accord? And it's a dumb question to kind of ask anyway. We all know. We all get it. It's this it's this quote-unquote veil of professionalism. The, the keeping one's integrity intact because they were given the option to resign rather than forced to resign. That's all, that's all professional facade. We all know what that means. When Flynn came out and resigned, I don't think anybody was sitting there, oh, can you believe he resigned? <laughs> no, people were like, oh, can you believe Trump fired him? He fired a guy within, it's been one month, one month of presidency and the guy's fired already. Not even a month. Not even a month. And a guy is fired over Russia scandal. Now it holds a little bit more credence. You get what I'm saying? Now I'm not I'm still not on on board with, you know, jump down Russia's throat quite yet. Not quite there. Cause this isn't this isn't the sixties anymore. This isn't the Red Scare, commie, you know, those guys over there, nuclear cold war. We're not there yet. And if I had to guess, I don't think Putin wants to be in that kind of a standoff. I can't I can't begin to tell because Putin doesn't have a free press, doesn't have uh, that kind of a, a hardcore approval following of his people. Uh, he, he doesn't. And they're not friends of ours. They're not bitter enemies, but they are a rival right now. They're not friends, and and I don't even think they fit the bill of frenemy category yet. But, I mean, Trump is going to talk with Putin. Okay, Obama talked with Putin. Calm yourselves down. Do you not remember the news clipping that came out? Uh, I believe it was over the course of the summer. I could be wrong, but it was... It was Obama and Putin talking in, in, in during a summit somewhere. And they were sitting and they were discussing. And they were having a discussion, but nobody knows what the discussion was. Uh, I don't think the news uh, dived into that. It was just, oh, look, here's Obama and Putin talking about something. Because, I mean, they're world leaders. You're going to talk to world leaders. It happens. Whether they're friends, uh, rivals, uh, frenemies, what have you. Uh, Trump's or Trump's, uh, Putin's focus, it, to, to me, is probably to try to be the guy. I think he wants to be the guy that resolves what's going on in the Middle East, specifically Syria. I think he wants to be the one that produces a successful outcome because then he can come up and say, look what Russia did. Look what Russia did. Russia brought stabilization. Russia did this. It was Russia. America didn't do it. It wasn't anybody else. It was Russia. I think that's what he wants. But to see this news story come out, and I mean, it just came out this morning, or that's when it was published, this morning. To see this news story come out, that's kind of, it's kind of a scary situation that, I mean, it makes sense, obviously. Our intelligence team, do you think our intelligence team doesn't sit there 
and look at a world leader before Trump or Obama or Bush or Clinton goes before them and talks to them. You think our intelligence officials don't compile some kind of a big file and then they all research it and study it and then they give the president a briefing before any meetings happen and then the president can go and have some knowledge on it. I mean, yes, that happens. But how extensive is that and and how deep is it and does it really make a psychological profile of of a candidate or, or or of a leader a psychological profile a psychological profile that says that Trump is a risk taker and naive I know I often say that the government needs to check keep their finances in check and we we have to balance the budget and all that and we do but uh, the the government should not run like a business and it in fact re- in reality doesn't run like a business trump is in the hot seat thinking that it's like when he goes to a board meeting and it's not it's completely different from that he's sitting in the hot seat as the president of the united states but he can't just snap his fingers and make something happen if if people do not realize that just from the immigration ban alone. I, we're still calling it a Muslim ban, which is news spin. If, if what the courts did on the immigration ban isn't evident enough that the government has multiple layers that have to work in tandem, that is a system of checks and balances, I don't know what could tell you that. Because, let's face it, the immigration order, some of the things in there people do not agree with, but are but is not technically unconstitutional or outside the reins of, or, or the realms of power of the president. Some things in that are not, like the taking of refugees. Trump's immigration ban was rolled out so poorly, so poorly defined that there was valid visa and green card holders that got held up because of it. Because of short-sightedness, cutting corners probably, just not being thorough, which is sad. But but like I said, there's things in there that people don't agree with, but uh, is te- it technically is not unconstitutional. Listen to, uh, this is Justin Amash talking about uh, the travel ban uh, on CNN Anderson Cooper. When you think about this this executive uh, order, to you, is this about politics more than it really is about security? I think it is. I mean, when you look at the countries that are involved, uh, you're missing some big ones. You're missing Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, uh, several other countries where there have been terror threats in the past. Afghanistan. Afghanistan's not on the list. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and um, those aren't included on the list. Can, can you? Um, can you just ex- explain exactly what parts you take issue with? Because I know, the, first of all, the green card um, I- issue was something you I saw you tweeting about. They've obviously rescinded that. But, but what else do you think is a problem with this? Because, uh, you know, there are people who say, look, I feel safer. This makes me feel safer. Well, I take issue with uh, parts of the whole thing. So the green card issue is a big one. Uh, they haven't really rescinded it. They've only... Uh, said that they'll let green card holders in on a case-by-case basis. So it's still part of the executive order, which goes to the root problem of the executive order. It was sloppy, too broad, and poorly executed. And so you have the green card issue, uh, who are lawful permanent residents. Those are people who live among us. Uh, They're our neighbors. They serve in our armed forces. They pay taxes here. And uh, they were harmed and not sure how it was going to affect them. And now they're going to still get some higher screening, um, which is... Uh, pretty unusual for people who have been living among us and, and live their lives here. Do you think this plays into the hands of, of radical Islamists, of, of people who want to paint the United States as being at war with the Muslim world, as this being between us and, and them? Well, I think it helps perpetuate the us versus them mindset, and that's really dangerous for our country. I think uh, one of the beautiful things about this country is that people come here and they integrate because our country is so welcoming 
and we have a system of capitalism where people come here and they want to make lives for themselves and be a part of our society. My dad uh, is a refugee. My mom is an immigrant. My mom is a Syrian immigrant. My dad is a Palestinian refugee. And uh, they came here and made new lives for themselves. And now their son is in Congress. And we don't want to tell people across the world that they are not welcome here. Yes, we have to be concerned about safety. That's my number one job here in Congress. That's the role of the federal government, to make sure that our, our people are safe. But at the same time, we have to make sure that we are sticking to our values, uh, that we uphold the, the principle of government, the main principle of government, which is to protect people's rights and to preserve liberty. And we want people to come here and be a part of our experience. Do, in terms of the planning of this, uh, you know, were you or any of your colleagues in Congress consulted, that you, anyone you've spoken to consulted about this executive order before it was signed? Because it seems like even members of, uh, of Donald Trump's cabinet, you know, there weren't studies being done by Homeland Security or by the Defense Department or others about how this might, you know, play out. Yeah, I haven't heard from anyone who has consulted. Uh, I had originally thought that some of our uh, members, uh, some of the chairmen of our committees were consulted, but then later I've heard uh, just through the news and by, by looking at Twitter is that they say they weren't consulted either. And uh, when you have an executive order that's put out and people don't even know how it affects green card holders, that's a serious problem. That's a, a big portion of our, our population here. I, I want to ask you about something Sean Spicer said today when, when asked about State Department employees who were circulating what's called a, a dissent channel memo, basically internally voicing disagreement with the executive order, raising concerns about it, career diplomats. Spicer said they should, quote, either get with the program or, or they can go. Should federal employees fall in line or is there room for, for expressing dissent or, or other opinions within the government? Well, there has to be room for dissent. And I've heard from others, uh, my colleagues who have been asked to be part of the administration that the president has said he wants to hear dissenting viewpoints. So I hope that uh, that's an exception and not the rule, uh, that uh, Sean Spicer telling people that he's not interested in their viewpoints would be an exception if that's true. Congressman Amash, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Anderson. Those were uh, Justin Amash's comments on it. He's a Republican from Michigan in, uh, in Congress uh, and somebody that I follow heavily uh, because of his liberty stances. He's more of a libertarian-ish type of guy and uh, very interesting. But those are all good points that he brought up on this travel ban stuff. Now, for everybody that wants to just cite Trump as an example, I think that's poor communication on your part if you just want to keep the focus on Trump. Last week, I said I was kind of disappointed in Rand Paul, and I still am for his not wanting to further investigate the Flynn situation for what he said, uh, because that was Rand Paul falling strictly in the party line. I can't condemn him entirely for it, but that was really disappointing for me. But then he comes out this week and he says this and kind of redeems himself a little bit. You know, I have a great deal of concern for any president and the amount of power they accumulate versus Congress. I'm a, a stickler about the idea of separation of powers. When you go back to James Madison and he said we would pit ambition against ambition to try to check and keep things in balance, I think that's incredibly important. And I think all presidents have tried to gain too much power. But this is more about the words and the personality of President Trump. I was very, very concerned about President Obama and how much executive order and how much executive power he tried to exert. But I think I want to be, and I think Congress will be a check on any executive, Republican or Democrat, that tries to, to grasp too much power. And really, a lot of the fault is not only presidents trying to take too much power, it's Congress giving up too much power. We write only skeletons of bills, sort of outline of bills. Even Obamacare was just sort of an outline, 2,700-page outline. Then we sent it up there, and the rest of it's written by bureaucrats, a permanent bureaucratic state. And so, yes, there always has to be a pushback, and I think there needs to be a great deal more pushback from Congress on any president, but not just this president. I think uh, probably 100 years where the presidents have been usurping too much power. Okay, Rand, I can, get you, I can get behind that. That is the Rand Paul that I like, the one that says, okay, yeah, you know what, you have a point against President Trump, 
but let's look back at Obama because and he's going to reference Obama. It's not that's not a Republican jab. That's just the fact that Rand Paul started his senatorial service under President Obama. So his experience is from his direct experience is from Obama to now. So the first place he's going to go is to Obama. A lot of people are going to go to Obama because that's where their initial that's where they initiated their senatorial experience or their representative experience. And I that's a, that's something I can get behind. If you're gonna if you're gonna be concerned about Trump, don't just be concerned about Trump. Be concerned about the title, the presidency, usurping power, and why? Because situations like this one might happen where someone squeaks into the presidency and then has massive unchecked power and you don't want that that's not how the system was set up to work there's a couple of different things I could touch up on I could touch up on uh, SpaceX and NASA are celebrating a successful rocket launch um, which was a private space flight from the company's Falcon 9 rocket, uh, which is carrying cargo up to the International Space Station uh, to drop off a payload. And SpaceX has been doing a lot of interesting different stuff. I plan to cover that because uh, SpaceX is often cited as a you know private organization, and they are, and they do have other private fundings, but they actually receive some money from the government. Uh, so to say it's entirely separated from government is a little funky, but that, that brings into mind like how these innovations and technology come in. People talk about how robotics take over people's jobs, and we lose jobs to automate to automation think about like think about this uh for those of you in the tri-state area of delaware who are lucky enough to know a wawa run while the rest of the nation looks at me and goes what the hell is he talking about uh you go to the wawa deli you don't give your order to somebody there's deli workers back there putting sandwiches together and you just go up to a kiosk and hit buttons and put in what you want and it's a great technology that could probably sweep over most fast food places and most ordering joints and eliminate jobs. Eliminate jobs for convenience. This article from The Hindu. The Hindu.com. International story. Quoting on Bill Gates. Uh, I'm just going to read the article a little bit here. Quote, robots that steal human jobs should pay taxes. Microsoft co-founder and philanthropist. Bill Gates has said, quote, certainly there will be taxes that relate to to automation. Right now, the human worker who does, say, U.S. dollar, $50,000 worth of work in a factory, that income is going, that income is taxed and you get income tax, Social Security tax, all those things. Mr. Gates, one of the world's richest men, told Quartz website, quote, if a robot comes in to do the same thing, you'd think that we'd tax the robot at a similar level, he said. Mr. Gates has said he believes the government should tax companies' use of robots as a way at least to temporarily slow the spread of automation and to fund other types of employment. Use it for human jobs. The 61-year-old philanthropist has said a robot tax could finance jobs such as taking care of elderly people or working with kids in schools for which needs are unmet and to which humans are particularly well-suited. He argued that governments must oversee such programs rather than relying on businesses in order to redirect the jobs to help people with lower incomes. If you can, quote, if you can take the labor that used to do the things automation replaces and financially and training-wise and fulfillment-wise have that person go off and do these other things, then you're not ahead, said Mr. Gates, one of the leading players in artificial intelligence technology. Quote, but you can't just give up that income tax because that's part of how you've been funding that level of human workers, he said. So, 
Bill Gates talking about taxing the robot. Now, some people have gone off on a limb and said, you can't tax a robot. It's a robot. You're not even paying the robot. Um, it, it's a talk about autom auto automation not wiping out a bunch of jobs, but how are you going to stop technology, even through taxation? And, and, and at, at this point, what right do you have to tax a company more, any more than you do if they're using automation to complete a process. Especially in the terms of the fact that automation is more efficient. It is uh, less... In, it, it's more efficient. It's more reliable uh, in some cases. And in, in many cases as well, it's cheaper. And uh, many of us are enjoying the benefits of automation, whether or not we want to admit it or not. Um, like I said, it's like the Wawa kiosk. Walking up to a kiosk to put in my food order is a lot better to me than sitting there and saying, okay, I want this and hold this, but put this, 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 and this on there. Like, I know when I'm plugging it in a kiosk, it's not going to mess it up. And I know that in a restaurant, if you have a server or whatever, and they mess up your order, you just bring it to their attention, and they usually correct it, and it's no charge to you. But I'm just saying, it's a, it's one of those convenient things where if there's a kiosk there, I'm a happy individual to, to, to go through the steps of a kiosk to put an order in. Maybe that's not everybody. But how are you going to stop that from sweeping across fast food restaurants, other restaurants? You know, I think it's, uh, I think it's Applebee's has something similar where they have this little touchpad at the table that you can play games on and do stupid stuff, but you can also look over the menu, put an order in for appetizers, put an order in for drinks before your server even gets to your table and says, hi, I'm whoever, I'm your server, uh, can I start you off with any drinks? You can plug that in on this iPad thing at the table before you even talk to anybody, and the first interaction will be them bringing that out and saying, how are you doing today? Could you foresee that just encompassing and taking over waiting positions? Possibly. Is it going to? Who knows? But uh, th this is the world that we live in. We love and embrace technology until the giant EMP goes off and then we're all screwed. But that's a different story for a different day. So that's going to wrap it up for me for this week. How do you guys feel about Donald Trump and this Russia stuff now? Is it getting a little more serious and heated and like we have to pay attention to it even more now? That's how I feel. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, like this, share this, comment, share it to the world, and do your thing on social media. I love you all, and I'll see you all next week, or quite possibly Friday for a Fridays with Fritz. Who knows? Keep your eyes peeled. Stay tuned. That's all I got. See you later.